0: Mercedes and Jay. Hey magic mob,
1: we are interrupting this interview with a quick word from one of our sponsors we think you might be interested in. I mm. oh, can taste the almond butter. I love the cacao. That's really good. No sugar alcohols? Nope. And only two net grams of carbs. Oh my God. And it's made with collagen and almond butter? Grass-fed collagen. Yep. Yum. So all the uh, fat and protein needed for keto lifestyle
0: mm-hmm. and real food to create the flavor. Love it. Yeah. Where can we get these? You can get it at wildfoods.co slash discount slash magic hour. Wildfoods.co slash discount slash magic magic hour magic with a j yes m-a-j-i-c and if you use that specific link you can get 12% off your entire order so doing it right Mm -hmm. now now on with
1: the show this is part two if you missed part one of this episode you can find it in our podcast library now if you're all caught up welcome back but I wanted to to touch on um where you said about you know, where meditation came up for you for the first time. Uh, You said, I think the 11th step um, and, or thinking about God and prayer and all that is that because you, you said you weren't religious. um, And I know that a lot of uh, addicts who go into a program come out religious sometimes, or, you know, find their religion again or whatever it is. What does that process look like? Or what did you witness while you were going through it for yourself?
2: Um, great question. Um, and I'm gonna preface it by I, I think that everybody's um, own relationship with God is there. So I don't ever think that my views are what theirs should be and, and right. But um, I was raised in a household where uh, we there was a religion, my, my mom was Jewish, my dad um, was Christian, and, and they believed in religion and God. And mm. um, I went to college and I was a messed up human, I became an intellectual atheist. and I'm like, everybody that believes in God is stupid. Um, and then I got, um, into rehab and I saw on the second step, it said, can't leave in a, uh, a, a higher power," basically. And I'm like, uh, uh-uh, no, 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 I'm not going there. Um, and then they were like, oh no, you know what? The higher power can be anything. It can be the group. You just have to believe that you're not everything. Mm. And I was like, oh, okay. And so I, and so the process that I learned was this, this, Unfolding of really understanding my relationship with a higher power, and what really helped me was when someone told me that my first higher power dropped me, and that's why I don't want to believe in one. I was like, "What do you mean? How do you know?" And they're like, "Your parents." Mm. My parents, you know, they're, they're they're good people, but they're imperfect people, and I think a lot of us have that stuff. We all have childhood stuff, um, and so then the second thing I said was, I, "I don't understand how God works, so I can't trust it." And he said, "If your higher power is bigger than you, then how do you expect that your p brain could actually understand it?" And that gave me the freedom to surrender, trying to control my higher power mm-hmm. through understanding my brain. Um, and it allowed me to start to experience my higher power through my actions, which I love what you talked about getting in motion, because I think it's we, we do so much up here. And so for me, that became like, I remember hiking with a friend and being like, hey, can my higher power be a woman? Cause you know, I'm in the, I'm in the South. So, you know, we have certain ideals uh-huh. down here. I just offended a lot of people. I don't no, know. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, and so, and so he was like, yeah, I was like, could it be an animal? And they're like, yeah, it can be whatever you want. I'm like, can it change? Like, yeah. And, and nobody had ever introduced the concept of a higher power at that level of freedom. Um, and that really connected to me. And so I started praying and, and while I'd be praying, I'd be like making jokes about how stupid it was. But then I, after a while I started to actually see how surrendering to this, mm-hmm even if it was placebo effect, this concept of something larger than me was creating so many positive outcomes in my life that I couldn't explain. And so many synergies that I didn't have to like grip to make happen that I was like, dude, I don't need to understand God. I don't need to understand religion. I think I think there's a higher power and I don't even know how to explain it, but I think it understands that we all think in terms of differences. So it created all these different religions so we could all find our own path to it. Hmm. And I think that I just try to, the the only times in my recovery when I felt separate from my higher power have been when I've tried to understand my higher power to a degree that is more than when I surrender, good things happen.
1: Yes. There's so many bits in there that I, that I love. Um, and I think that you articulate that so beautifully. I'm surprised I haven't heard you talk more about that, actually. I don't want to shit that's on you, a, but you should. <laughs> no, so, well,
2: so I appreciate So I'll tell you, like, um, that's been a challenge for me. Um, that's been a big challenge. As I wrote my book, um, God isn't in the book, but he's in the dedication. Mm-hmm. Um, I say he because it's convenient. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, so my faith journey is non-religious. It's 12 step. It's, it's this open-ended thing, but it's Mm -hmm. like anybody that knows me, it's at the center of everything. But what I'm trying to do with these three principles is I'm trying to do the beautiful thing that the, the that the people that created the 12 step program did. So the people that created the 12 step program, they took religion out of it. So it was accessible to all. Mm. And I've seen atheists go through that process and be able to recover and so I think that as valuable as it is to frame a higher power as God, as a religious, spiritual thing, I think simply the act of surrendering to something bigger, no matter right. what it is, is such a powerful thing that I chose to let people find that as they're th- wrestling through surrender the outcome. And, and in my dedication, it's the first thing in my book. So the first thing it says is, um, to my high power, who I choose to call God, I don't know why you guided me. Oh, I'm gonna get emotional.
1: No, I don't know why you
2: guided me. Um, to leave you out of this book, but you're on every page, mm-hmm. and and I can tell you honestly that for me, learning how to see God's will instead of my will, I I don't know a hundred percent. I I think I know my I think I know why,
0: mm-hmm. but I don't
2: hundred percent know. I think it's so it's more accessible, mm-hmm. but um, I chose to follow the path, and I'll tell you, a lot of my recovering addict friends were like really struggling with that dis- decision because so they're like, "What well, we learned we learn the higher power thing." I'm like I know, but. Leaders in business and and stay at home parents that aren't addicts they don't need as extreme of a solution and so mm-hmm. I need something that's simpler that just tells them what do I do right now in this business meeting with my kid like whatever what do I do right, right. now and and I didn't want to try to bring in that philosophical debate and 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 truly it was an, it was an unconscious knowing it was that's how I was guided and and I still feel really vulnerable about it I'm kind of scared a little bit that like it'll end up being a big mistake mm-hmm. but I'm it won't be if I, if I chose not my will. So.
1: Right. Well, it's beautiful. And I'm glad you're sharing it here at least. Um, and it makes me think of, you know, th- that going from, I'm, I want to call it like a narcissistic way of thinking about <clears throat> the, the things happening around you are, you know, first of all life happening to you instead of for you um, or you being the center of the universe and not having to consider anything else essentially. Um, and stepping into this other place that's actually scary because it's now not in your control. If it's in someone else's control, if you're living from this other mindset of like, this is my box, I'm keeping it all in control. Um, and, and when you step into that other place, which we call gray area on the show, you know, step into something that there's a lot of fear around, um, you're going to be humbled by because it's something that you can't really even consciously understand probably as the, you know, small self. Um, And I like to call it because I, I have a similar, I guess, uh, upbringing as you, when it comes to religion where atheist father, a Catholic mother um, went through a big stage where I was very angry at, just religion in general, like being forced on me when I was younger and all the fear that's forced on you through that. Um, And then coming to a place where you realize that there is this thing that you are a part of that's much bigger than you. You're just a small piece of it. Um, which is beautiful that you get to be a piece of it. And I like to call it God or conscious collective, uh, or collective conscious or my subconscious, even if someone wants to still feel a little attached to the narcissism, my (laughs) subconscious, because it feels like it's mine, but it's really like this collection of stuff that I can't grab and holds onto. And it's very fluid, but all of that, like you spoke to, I think does, um, formulate the story we're living at the present moment so when we can really uh clearly start defining it and i think you do that through things like meditation and listening to your thoughts and letting the subconscious arise or you know tapping into the collective conscious or all the the words you want to use to define whatever whatever the process is and how it's how it's accumulating um we get to step into our highest selves or the higher self or, and I don't even like using the word higher cause it sounds like we've got levels to this, but you no, know, but I know what you're saying. Yeah. So, and I, and I think beautifully you um, spoke to the fact that humans see the world through differences. I think you use, and I like to say through contrast, like we have to have yeah. the darkness in order to see the light. And I think that goes for every part of life. And when you start realizing those small little concepts, it puts a lot of this into place. So you, you can label yourself, you know, atheist, you can label yourself, uh, any religious title, whatever it is. Um, as long as you're understanding that we're all in this thing together, I think that it creates the the bond that we all need to have in order to make it through, you
2: know. This Absolutely, thing. and it's and, and the world's getting harder and harder. I mean, we need more yeah. and more genuine connectivity, and we need. The, I I really like the way you make it accessible, though, when you were talking about like the subconscious, because like people have varying levels mm-hmm. of need when it comes to being able to relinquish that control. Yeah. And some and, and 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 at the end of the day, whatever con like whatever concept allows you to let go, mm-hmm. I think puts you into a place where you're able to manifest your best self.
1: Agreed. Agreed. We can agree on that, Michael. Dude, I feel, I feel
2: kindred spirit. <laughs>
1: All right. We've got a question from Dougie on Instagram who asks, how can I help a loved one who is an addict or who is dealing with addiction?
2: Man. So I get that. Thank you for that question. I get that question a lot, both online and offline. Um, so. I think we kind of, thanks to like intervention, we kind of know these things, but um, if you know the TV show Intervention. Um, mm-hmm. So, enabling um, people talk a lot about stop enabling an addict. Um, I actually like to tell you what to start instead only enable their recovery. Mm-hmm. that's it. And so, um, for lo- people that have loved ones that are an addict, unfortunately, there are programs and resources for you so that you can learn how to surrender the outcome when it comes to their addiction. And the value of that is twofold. One, it allows you um, to give them the opportunity to experience what they need. The only thing that stops an addict in my experience is pain and consequences. So Mm -hmm. anything that we ever do to even soften Mm -hmm. that a little bit is like digging a grave. So the the key is is that let an addict experience their consequences and then always be there to enable their recovery when they're willing and so the reason that we need to ask for help ourselves is they say addiction is a family disease so the addict's addicted to the thing and then the family and the loved ones are addicted to the addict's process Mm. and that allows them to distract from themselves and they get to numb the same way the addict gets to numb Mm -hmm. the addict's using this substance and they're using addicts trauma to numb from their own pain.
0: Mm-hmm. Codependency. Access these
2: resources. And what that allows you to do is, yeah, yes, absolutely. And so you, there are 12-step programs specifically for codependency. Mm-hmm. There's 12-step programs for if you're an adult child of an alcoholic. If you, I mean, they go on and on. But if you're able to take care of yourself, it's like the um, airplane oxygen mask, then you're able to flourish as a human and you are more capable of being there when the other person reaches out. Mm. But here's the thing that I'm going to say that is going to be really hard to hear and this is the thing This is the outcome that people need to surrender in order to be able to to focus on what they can't control The odds are not good
1: mm.
2: People think it's all going to be a happy ending and that's what actually leads them to wanting to okay I'm just gonna give them a little bit more money or I'm just gonna
1: mm-hmm.
2: Help them with this and the truth is that you can't control that it could be a very unhappy ending you can't control whether you optimize that it's a positive one, but it's a completely counterintuitive action that is required to make that happen. And it has everything to do with letting go and everything to do with not trying to control their process and start controlling yours.
0: And I don't yeah. mean to
2: say that with any lack of sensitivity, but it's, no. I get calls all the time and I'm like, man, if you want your son or daughter to live, the best thing that you can do is not withhold their consequences and take care of yourself and let them know that you will enable their recovery when they want it.
0: I like that. Um, take care of yourself. I, um, uh, my father, my, uh, both of my parents struggled with alcoholism, but my father was a heavy addict. And, um, I, as an adult chose addicts and was just trying to, I was so codependent on them, trying to, uh, get them clean as a way of healing my childhood. So, um, it took me a while to figure that out that I was a codependent. Yeah. And then I started reading books on codependency and I knew there were programs and, um, that was when uh, i stopped choosing addicts but i know that my codependency was enabling all of them so
2: but that's a level of work jade that like you need to be so proud of and and so proud of as a mother because you're breaking a cycle just in mm-hmm. doing that and, and yeah that's so most many rewarding people don't do that so many people don't do that and i'm not saying it's bad but it's just like Kudos to you for changing that and for recognizing that and for doing that uncomfortable work. And as a result, you not only get to have a better experience on this earth, but so do the people that you love. Like that's, people need to listen to that because that happens a lot.
0: And it's when you are healing the codependency, because a lot of times I think, like you said, they have to... Um, go through pain and consequences to want to change. So we think sometimes like if we leave them, they'll get clean and we'll get back together, but that's staying codependent. So you actually have to do the uncomfortable work.
1: Yeah. I think it's such a, um, like I can only imagine too, you know, being a mother of a child that's dealing with an addiction Mm. or um, I have a family member who is married to an addict and they have kids you know like it's a whole it, it becomes this I think like you said it's a hardest. family issue yeah it's not one person it's how do you as the mother put your child on the street essentially because you know that's what's going to yeah. happen you know in order to stop enabling um how do you wrap your head around that and i think the the for anyone listening i think you know the thing to remember is that it is way harder than anyone is able to describe in words because it's an emotional process that you have to go through. And that's why the support that you're talking to Michael, getting that support is 100% necessary because you're going to relapse as the person who's not struggling with the substance substance addiction, Mm -hmm. but who's struggling with the codependent, you know, issue of wanting to create a safe place for your child in this circumstance Mm -hmm. or for your husband, who's an addict or whatever your thing is, you know?
0: Yeah. Um, Time. Yeah, I was only speaking from a partner standpoint. I can't I cannot imagine if a mother's listening and her her child struggles with addiction. Um my friend that I brought up earlier that helps children uh, helps people through addiction, he said that he has parents call him moms call him sometimes and say, "I think I I I worry every night that my child's going to die yeah. because of their addiction and that this will be the last time like you know that he even contacts me." So, I can't I can't even imagine. I um, and so I only wanted to make sure to be clear that when I was saying you have to do the uncomfortable work, I was in no way trying to sound in, um not empathetic to any parents. That's one of the hardest things that anyone could probably go through.
2: Well, this is so. This is tough. tough this is tough stuff to heart, to talk about because um, I have a tendency. And I don't know if it's you know me being an addict and not liking emotion. Although I feel like I've really developed it, but I have a tendency to jump right into the solution, and I have a tendency mm-hmm. to skip the um, empathy part. Mm-hmm. Um, it's only when I have space and time. <laughs> 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 what
0: Mercedes Stark. does that too? <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, and, you know, and, and I learn a lot, I, I'm, especially having a daughter and all that stuff. I'm, I'm learning different ways to relate, and and I think that I'm also so desensitized sometimes to some of this stuff. I'm not, I'm not completely, but. Um, I see it all the time. And I, I have always said, I've had I have sponsees, I know what it's like to detach from somebody's process and know that it's going to risk a negative outcome. And I never realized until I had my daughter and I stared at that beautiful little being in the bathtub that couldn't, you know, lift itself up if we weren't, you know, there doing it or had the little thing. And I realized that this isn't about the odds anymore. And it's, It's not about the process. It's about amaret. And when it's no longer about statistics and odds and do this right thing, and it's about that one person, um, I'm only a year into being a parent, and I can't possibly imagine. I know I can't relate to what my parents went through, and I know I can't relate to what a parent goes through. It doesn't mean that the work is any different. um, But to what Mercedes said, um, I think it's recognizing that just like the addict is suffering, they don't need to. Mm. Um, if you're suffering because you have a loved one that is having an issue, you do not need to suffer on your own. There are resources and people Mm -hmm. that will rally around you and help share your pain. Mm -hmm. Shared is is pain lessened. It's not Mm -hmm. completely lessened, but you can get the help that you need. And if you're sitting there and you're looking at the loved one, you're saying, Oh, you really need, really need help. If you just put the mirror in front of yourself, you're the person that you can help. And in doing so, you actually put yourself in a better position to help that person. But that doesn't mean that it's easy. That's why I, you, if the 12 steps of alone were to were get, got people sober and clean, we wouldn't need sponsors. Right. Mm. We wouldn't need meetings. Like we just say, Hey, here's the book. It's an online course. See ya. Like you need the, you need other people that have been through it. And so like, mm-hmm. I have this list of all these people that I know that are parents of addicts so when I get that call, I like, I, I send them some of these friends because they love hearing from the addict that's been clean a long time, hmm. but no, I can't, I can't imagine what it's like to be that parent and knock on wood. I hope I don't, but, um, I've got a little bit of time to worry about that, but yeah, it's, it's a tough situation.
0: Yeah. yeah. One now that people to... are facing
2: more and more. Sorry, go ahead.
0: No, oh, you're fine. Um, I wanted to ask about your thoughts on psychedelics and plant medicines, um, Specifically, because I know I know people who um, actually used things like ayahuasca in order to overcome their alcoholism. Um, I have one friend who um, his marriage would have ended, um, and then he did ayahuasca, and his um, he he became his wife and saw how he acts when he drinks and he felt her emotions and that she wasn't just trying to control him. And he stopped drinking like that after that experience. Cause he it's, it's um, the way I know that there's rehab centers too, that use um, plant medicine because it, it's like it rewires your brain with the addiction. And then I also feel like um, with your, with the other part of your work, it, it uncovers our truth and is potentially, you know, a catalyst to, to living mask free, um, so I was curious your thoughts on that. And I, I also, um, as I was asking this question, it, it, it I remembered that, um, I had a partner that struggled, uh, he struggles with alcoholism and I was so angry at him for so long because I felt like he, um, uh, had kind of abandoned me in the relationship and he wouldn't give up alcohol like my father didn't. And I, um, became him on while on um, ayahuasca and I felt his like um, his despair just, a despair but his um, disappointment would be the word he was just the most disappointed man mm. like I, I was overwhelmed with disappointment and I just wanted to get away from that feeling like I was I would have done anything I was like get me out of here I don't want to feel this and then alcohol like poured into Me and I was numb and I was relieved and I was just like, oh, thank God I'm not feeling that disappointment. And so for that was the first time that I understood, not not that I'm, um, you know, saying okay, yeah, just keep doing it. But I that was the first time that I understood like how there it's just running away from feelings and I couldn't grasp it before because before it was the like you said, kind of the lack of empathy, get to the solution. And this time was like the first time that I thought you just don't want to feel that ugly feeling that I couldn't handle for five minutes, you know? So anyhow, I was just curious your thoughts on, um, the use of psychedelics.
2: Yeah. So I don't, I've been clean for a while. I don't even know what you're saying with the iOS.
1: Oh, I street name would be like DMT, I guess. Yeah. Okay.
2: Yes. Uh, so man, um, I would say just generally speaking, any instrument that develops empathy is probably very helpful. Um, I think in general that allows us to see other people's perspectives and relate to the world. And then any mechanism that allows us to improve ourselves is really helpful. And this is all my prefacing is because I don't know what I think about that. Honestly, I I haven't, I haven't really studied it. Um, I I don't have a lot of people that really talk about using it and, and I'm, medical way or in a therapeutic way. Um, What I do know is um, in the 12-step community, at least my personal experience is, sometimes you know we find this thing that works for us. So here's what I would tell you, like being a 12-step person, I would be like, oh, that's an addict shouldn't do that. That would be my thought process. Mm -hmm. Um, At the same time, I also know that in the process of becoming clean, um, I was taught that the only person that could determine if they're an addict is the addict. Mm -hmm. So it would be arrogance for me to say what somebody should do. And then I remember when I had had about four years clean, I had two sponsees that both um, left the program that I'd worked through step work. I knew all their horrible stuff they had gone through and they stepped away from the program and they both chose an alternative method for recovery. And I remember calling my sponsor and being like, they're wrong. Like the self-righteous narcissistic, like they're wrong. I found the way you have to do my way. They're wrong. They're stupid. Um, and, And my motivation was I was, I love them and I was scared for them. Mm -hmm. Um, And he was like, dude, you learned how to be open-minded in this program, that you are not God, that you don't know all, right? Mm -hmm. So how do you know what's best for them? So what I would say is is that for me, um, I don't know what's going to be most effective to help people in different circumstances, but I've seen, I have seen addicts use other methods to recover now, the only method I've seen that works consistently is the twelve-step program, mm-hmm. and even then, the success rate is pretty bad. Mm-hmm. That's usually because addicts don't follow directions, um, not because the program doesn't work. But that being said, if there are cases where I don't care what it is, whether you're talking about a psychedelic or whether you're talking about someone talking to a teddy bear, I don't know why I made that up. Maybe I'm surrounded by my daughter's toys and all that <laughs> kind of stuff. But um, but but if if that if that helps you in your journey to, to make better choices and to think differently in a way that helps you, like I'm all for it and, and I'm not a scientist. So that's a really long winded way of saying, I don't really know, mm-hmm. but I wanted you to know the thought process behind it because mm-hmm. it's, um, it's, I think the most important thing is, is that I think a lot of times we find a solution and we want to club everybody over the head with that solution. Mm-hmm. And I would try to be really careful in recognizing that I don't know what's best for everybody. And I encourage anything that's working to be something that is uh, supported and grown.
1: Mm-hmm. I like that. Is that the longest
2: non-answer you've ever gotten? (laughs) It's gotta be. Like I set a record of some sort.
1: I don't know. All I do is literally talk through thought process that lead us to nowhere. So no, I feel like that was right on target. (laughs) I'm enjoying
2: the heck out of this. Like you guys are clearly like present and engaged and you really care. Like
1: thank
2: you. It's just the thoughtfulness that you have in in the platform and the way you're leveraging your platform is something that's really, really, really awesome. And then just like to hear the way that you're thinking about life on life's terms is something that i think more people need to hear
1: Hmm, thank you thank you
2: yeah
1: well there are a few short questions we like to ask everyone who comes on the show so that's how we'll wrap up this episode so first off if you could hug your younger self right now what would you say
2: um i've actually been asked this question before um and so i i had to think about it here's what i would say i would say You're about to go through some of the darkest times in your entire life, but it's going to be worth it. Mm. And the light on the other end will be something that you couldn't have dreamed. And everything that you're going to experience between now and then over the next five years is going to be so painful
1: Mm.
2: and you wouldn't have it any other way.
1: Mm. How old are you? 17.
0: 17. Well, I like that.
1: That was something we all probably needed to hear too, because I yeah. feel like that's a turning point
0: yeah. for a lot of us. If you could have the whole world read one book, which would it be?
2: Well, I think I already showed my card on this one a little bit, but uh, <laughs> Brene Brown's The Gifts of Imperfections and mm. Daring Greatly, I'm going to cheat because I see them as one big book that needs to be read. Um, that book, her, I worship her a little bit. Unhealthily. So, you've seen
0: her Netflix special?
2: Um, I actually have not. We swore oh, off Netflix so at the house. So, I'll tell you, swearing off Netflix. I'll give you at the my password so that you can watch so it. Painful. It's so good. <laughs> It is. So I could, because someone showed me the trailer and I'm like, that's my girl. And they're like, who is she? I'm like, you don't know who she is. I go, I've seen it
0: dozens of times. And I cried even. I've got
2: it. I want your login because I want to watch it. Um, (laughs) I promise I won't misuse it, but like, I'll go do speaking engagements where I'll be like, so who here knows who Brown is. And sometimes like nobody raised their hand.
1: Wow. Sometimes
2: everybody
1: does.
2: And my heart when they don't know, but her book Um, give some imperfection specifically, and then daring greatly. It was when I was the CEO of my startup, and it was a fast-growing company, and I really wanted to lead in a way that nobody was modeling for me with my vulnerability, and then specifically using my twelve-step program as a way to build um, my culture at my company, as a way to think about my growth as a CEO. And I got shamed a little bit. Well, I probably shamed myself, but I got called naive, Hmm. and I got called that I didn't know what it meant to be a real CEO. Mm -hmm. And, and so I felt really insecure about the path that I wanted to forge. And it was when I read her book that I said, no, I can choose to take this thing over here and apply it in a way that most people think is not cool. Um, and she's the one that gave me permission. She's the one that gave me the language, um, and and the way to think through what is being true to myself. And then, and so like gifts from perfection really helped me with that. But then during greatly, I was like, man, I'm, I'm supposed to do this. And that was two thousand. Eleven or twelve, mm-hmm. and so seven years later, you know that's like the centerpiece of my. T- I'm carrying this message that, that was really born out of reading that book. So if I haven't sold that book to you by now, <laughs> you need to go get it yeah. and read it because it is a Immediately. game. Immediately, to- yeah. So anyhow, I can keep going, but great.
1: Books. No, we love Brene Brown. Trust that's a that's one of our our own personal favorites. So right on with that.
2: Cool. I gotta see Netflix spectacle, though. Yeah, you I got listened a- to her Audible book, so and she's so funny, and she's so she practices what she practices what she preaches. That's what's so yeah. beautiful about it.
1: I discovered her through a TED Talk too. I feel like I don't know if it's just me, like uh, projecting my own stuff onto others, but I feel like. The podcast community, and this is also like a big stereotype, but a large part is like the Brene Brown or TED Talk watcher. You know, like that's kind of their jam as they're looking for information or they're looking mm-hmm. to self-help and self-grow. Um, love you, fam. Mm-hmm. All right. So if you could whisper one phrase to everyone on the planet, what would it be?
2: Whisper one phrase. Okay. Do I have to actually whisper it when I say it? <laughs> no.
0: I um, just don't want you to yell it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that the worst thing about you can become the best thing about you. Hmm. And maybe That's it already is.
0: So hard to believe that. Sounds like I, a pastor. Turn yeah. your mess into your message. Yeah. Uh, you know what?
2: Me, Being an addiction, uh, being an addiction, being a drug addict, that was absolutely the worst thing about me. And I was raised that there was a tremendous amount of shame and all that. And now, you know, it's I don't think when I do my prayers, I don't think um, my higher power for recovery. I think my higher power for addiction. Um, mm-hmm. because it's walking around with a loaded gun pointed at my head that forces me to practice my program that continues to make me seek the things that you guys bring on this podcast that we talk about here. Mm-hmm. If I didn't have that loaded gun pointed in my head, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing right now and I wouldn't yeah. be worth anything to my wife and my daughter. And so it's what I'm grateful for.
1: Yeah. That is something I wanted yeah, to that, ask you is if you still live with the fear of um, you know, heading back into relapse or of addiction.
2: Normal question, so uh, no uh, I used to, so my first uh, year, I thought that this is gonna sound crazy. I thought that um, a like a beer or a pipe was gonna jump me in an alley somewhere and force itself down my you know into <laughs> yeah. my body somehow um, and so I remember being at a supermarket and thinking that if I picked the wrong cereal, I was gonna relapse. Don't even ask me how I got there, but it was crazy um, and so it was something that I was scared of, but um, you know. Once I got 10 years, um, a lot of the old timers have told me that, you know, a lot of people relapse in the first year. A lot of people relapse going <laughs> from one to five and even from five to 10 is a really hard time because people get all their stuff back and they get distracted. But if you keep doing what you've been doing for 10 years, um, it's, it's habit. So like I go to my home group and I got five sponsees and I do my, I, I do all the stuff. It's my life and yeah. I enjoy it mm-hmm. and it allows me to deal with life in life's terms. I'm not sitting there talking about the drugs. So, I don't worry if I were to stop. I, my, my wife and I talk about this all the time. I don't worry about relapsing. Um, I worry about becoming a human that sucks. Mm. And then I worry about being connected to the people around me and my higher power. Um, and I think that I would start to um, do addictive things, either become an ultra marathoner or become a wicked gambler or something to kind of deal with the life on life's terms. And I do worry that eventually, That would take me back. Um, if I if I had stopped doing this stuff at five years, I probably would relapse within a year, if not sooner. But I think at this point, I would have I would it would take a long time, but nobody's impervious. Um Mm -hmm. and it's and what would happen is I would I would generate so much collateral damage doing those things that eventually I would look for the thing that I know absolutely will make all the voices stop and all the all the pains Mm and stop. So I stay vigilant. Frankly, not out of fear though, because I'm, I'm just, I'm not worried about that. Um, I stay vigilant because to me, it's the best platform for thriving.
1: Absolutely. That's really it, good. It makes me feel, for some reason this comes up, so I'm going to say it. Um, someone who gets in like a major accident, let's say, and they become a um, you know, unable to use their legs or something like that, something super traumatic that happens. And now they have, their life is turned upside down because of course they've been a human who's been able to use their legs and all the things that comes with that um, forever. And now they got to figure out how to acclimate to this. And if they maybe have a tendency to go to substance to help them cope or feel better. um, I can see a situation like that really being like, okay, I'm uh, what's what's it all for now? And becoming so hopeless that they choose this addiction again, and they choose this substance that's going to make that all go away. And I don't know how you walk someone out of something that's that's that traumatic, or how quickly you can, or if you can save somebody who's you know got this tendency to go to that place. And I don't even know why that's coming up in me, but it just um, I love that you brought it up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything that that comes up for you? And I bring up a circumstance yeah. like that extreme.
2: So without having gone through that circumstance, I think it's always easy to pontificate on what's possible when you haven't gone through it. So I want to acknowledge I haven't gone through that. And it, but I have thought through that kind of stuff. And mm-hmm. I've, I've all, but more importantly, I've witnessed it in recovery. And what we're taught is um, it's an inside job mm-hmm. and that our satisfaction in this world is going to come from what we do internally, not externally. And so I've seen people dealing with pancreatic cancer, dealing dealing with all kinds of terrible, terrible things where they're living in the hospital. Um, And I I see that the ones that think of recovery as a way to not use drugs, they're the ones that suffer the most. Mm -hmm. But the people that see recovery as a way to thrive in life, Mm -hmm. that's actually what helps them get Mm -hmm. through those things. I've seen people lose their children I've seen people lose their spouses. I've seen all kinds of terrible things happen, and it's the coping mechanism. Because um, I had a spiritual mentor that one time told me because I got I was really grateful. I didn't know how to deal with the success after I sold my company. Like Mm. I was like embarrassed, and and I didn't know what to do. And and he he was like, "Have you celebrated it?" I was like, "No." And he's like, "Well, here's a deal: one is paralyzed, and someone's the lottery over a year." they're going to end up at the same level internally. Mm. And I think there's something tied in there around the hedonic treadmill and all that kind of stuff. Mm. But I've learned for myself that, you know what, that I have so many blessings today with the wife and daughter and, and, and you know, pl- building a platform, not like this, but trying, um, that, you know what, some of my happiest moments were when I was in the halfway house sharing a 10 by 12 mm. room with two other dudes that like were really rude and talking to their girlfriends on speakerphone while I was trying to sleep. Like that was like, Peace for me. So I've learned that the peace and the happiness comes internally. Now I don't know what it's like to deal with that circumstance, but for for just this one addict, I have no doubt that the thing that's got seventeen years would be the thing how to thrive in that circumstance. <sighs> Easy yeah. to say though.
1: No, but I mean, like you said, it's a matter of putting it into practice so much that you become it becomes you. You know, you become it's a part of you and it's just second nature. It becomes almost your new comfortable, you know, it's like going to your new job for the first time. This might be a really, really subtle example of this, but going to a new job that is really seems a little out of your league, you know, a little higher over your head than, than what you might be actually qualified for. And you show up and then you Go on your first day, and you're like, "Whew, I think I got through that." You know, no one, no one saw through my mask or whatever. And you go on your second day, and you do the training, and you get through the training, and then you're convincing yourself little by little that you can do this thing. And then at the end of a year, you're like, "You know what? Not bad." They actually offered me a raise or whatever Mm -hmm. whatever the case. And eventually, you've convinced yourself that you are this person now. You are actually ten years later a master at it, and it's become a part of you. And now you are. Whatever the original job you signed up for, so it's almost a little fake it till you make it. So it's like wearing a mask in a sense. I don't know. I feel we're so contradictory. <laughs> no,
2: just yeah, I, I'm with you. Like this stuff, like uh, like, and in, in, we have an anonymous program, so it's like you put on a mask and take off a mask. Yeah. Like there's all mm. kinds of interesting That's, that is interesting dynamics. Yeah. Uh, one thing you said though, um, in my book, uh, I end it with a story called "The Tale of Two Divorces," and it's okay. about the year in which I had to divorce my wife, not my current wife. Divorced my wife and my business partner, and and I lost my Mm. company like all in the same year. Mm. And the reason I tell that story is it's the year I stopped practicing everything that I teach and everything that I learned. Um, And I thought that if I could just fix all these things around me, Mm -hmm. it's not like losing the mobility of my body, right? It's not like, but but it was massive. Like, I didn't know where I was going to live. I didn't know what my, I didn't didn't even know if I was going to be able to keep my dog. Like, I was, crazy and and when I continued to focus on all this external stuff and and the wife and the business and the partner like I was so miserable and then finally like someone's like dude you just gotta surrender dude like do what got you here mm-hmm. and I went back to doing this stuff and then I was able to kind of detach from the outcome of all these things it all worked out pretty well um it wasn't perfect but it all worked out pretty well but like I still remember staying at my old sponsor's house when I didn't have anywhere to stay and thinking that that was a beautiful moment in my life that I really enjoyed, not because there were great things going on around me, because I remembered how to practice this stuff. Mm-hmm. And so that's like a, that's, you know, it might, that might be a tried example too, but like I think that might be a little bit relatable to some people. And I just think that if you learn to surrender um, and do uncomfortable work, anything's possible.
1: Yes. It's like Mm -hmm. a little religion in itself. I love it so much. I like it. I feel like we came full
0: circle. Yeah. In the the episode. Like it was planned. Because I
2: for the place. So as long as you feel good about it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Michael, where can we find you online? And also where can people find your book?
2: Oh, thank you so much for asking. So I have a website, michaelbrodyweight.com, but because that's a mouthful, I actually set up something simple for your audience um, and a gift for your audience because that's Mm. like what you do with podcasts. Um, And so if you text mask-free, all one word, to 33777, Um, Not only will I send you my information, but I will send you my mask assessment that's on my website for a fee. But anybody that comes through that card, uh, through that word, gets it for free and helps identify masks and all that stuff. And obviously it's great for me getting my word out. Um, and then if you want to buy the book, um, it's on Amazon right now for pre-order. And if you do, um, the pre-order, you get the audio book for free. And so just wow. uh, uh, go on Amazon, put great leaders of like drug addicts. I don't think there's another book quite
1: named like that. So <laughs> no, it's the best for name better, better for worse. <laughs> yeah. Great leaders live like Thank drug addicts. I'm asking. so excited to read it too. Um, You're amazing. As I've already told you before we started this, I'm a huge fan of your work, and I am just thrilled that we got you on the show to speak your magic into our listeners' ears and into our ears. So thank you so much for the work you're doing, for being vulnerable enough to live mask-free and to show the world that that's a possibility and for being such a light in that way.
2: Thank you guys for the same. It's been an honor to be here, and I've so enjoyed it. You guys are beautiful, and using my definition, I love you guys.
0: Hmm. Thank you. Thank for being you.
2: I am really touched by how you are spiritual warriors. I really Aww.
0: am. Thank you. Thank you.
2: Yeah. So I don't know how to end calls. By the way, I just keep like <laughs> fawning over people.
0: Um, He's like, I never, I never order kill. pizza. <laughs> <laughs> I really, um, yeah, I really want to see his book blow up. And um, his message is just so pure. It's so pure, clean. It's, it's just so crisp. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's the thing because it's truth. It's simple, you know? Yep, exactly. It's just the simple truth. <laughs> I love it. Um,
1: I love it so much. I hope, I know our audience will resonate with this, but, you know, both you and I, Jade, have a lot of. Um, I guess, history with addiction in our families. Yeah. And so this topic and having someone here who can speak directly to it because he's lived it Mm -hmm. uh, is so... I just hope it reaches so many people, not just the people that are maybe dealing with addictions in themselves, Mm -hmm. but also the family and the people, you know, on the sidelines that we don't even realize are being affected the way that they are. I hope that they gain a little bit of perspective or insight or something that makes the journey a little more easy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because it's such a heavy topic, but um, this was, this felt hopeful at the same time. Totally. So, um, yeah. What's your what's your magic for us today? Yeah, so I was trying to figure out how to um how to do this magic trick because I know that maybe not like the typical person struggling with addiction or trying to overcome addiction may click on this episode because mm-hmm. they might still be like knee deep in it, but I also mm-hmm. know that just because you're not addicted or just because it's not controlling your life mm-hmm. doesn't mean um that like it should be in your life. Um, I've, mm. I saw something the other day, it was like um, you not wanting to drink is good enough reason for you to to like give it up. It doesn't have to be like, oh, well, it's ruining this for me or it can just be um, like, you know that it's you don't feel your best the next day, you know, something like that. But I remember also um, I was surprised at when I read um, like the typical alcoholic drinks five drinks in a couple of hours or 15 drinks a week because I have so many friends that they drink 15 drinks every weekend Mm -hmm. and they just, they don't consider themselves alcoholics because it's like, that's just their weekend. That's them cutting loose. That's them. um, And it's, so I guess the term would be like a functioning alcoholic almost, you know? And so I think a lot of us, so it's 15 for men, it's only eight for women. I know Mm. so many women that have eight drinks on the weekends because they they go to dinner, they have four or five, they have a couple glasses of wine at home the next yeah, night. I guess you know? you're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it goes, so, I mean, I just get so full off of like one drink. I don't know how, but I think it's just
1: a different mindset on the whole thing anyway.
0: I mean, yeah. I, when I have dinner with a girlfriend, I, I typically she'll order three or four drinks, I feel. So, I mean, having eight in a week is considered alcoholism. Um, according to, um, uh, I don't remember what this, I, I think it was alcohol.org, <laughs> to be honest, I think was the link, but um, but yeah, so so it's surprising because I feel like a lot of people drinking is such a normal part of their life right. and a part of their social, how they bond and how they have um, social encounters that they don't realize that it is actually like functioning alcoholism. I mm-hmm. think we tend to think of, um, well, I'm not an alcoholic because like my life is, Fine, I'm not right. suffering, you know. Um, so anyhow, I if that was something that like when you heard that, if you were like, huh, I do um because I feel like maybe people who are listening to this year are either long term listeners or they listened to it, they clicked on it because they know someone um who may be struggling with yeah. addiction. And so, um, but if that resonated with you, like, huh, maybe I maybe I do drink more than I realized. Yeah, um that's a good point. Yeah, there's there's some little things uh that i um put here that can just help you cut back if if you're realizing that you drink more than you um, want to mm-hmm. yeah or if you don't but you just have always wanted to cut back because you know you don't feel good um so or the calorie content for that matter yeah there's so many reasons there's so skin <laughs> skin <Yeah. laughs>
1: okay your liver so. i don't know
0: it's a known carcinogen Yeah, pretty obvious reason it's poison but whatever yeah anywho um so the first thing is put it in writing um either put it in writing or um like announce your goal to somebody because that gives you this feeling of like um having something to be accountable to you know um and then Mm -hmm. set a drinking goal so if you if that when you heard that hmm yeah, I have 14 drinks or I have eight drinks. If Mm -hmm. you're a woman set a drinking goal to, you know what, I'm only going to have three, like maybe cut it in half so that you're at least not um, meeting the quota of being an alcoholic, right? (laughs) That might feel better. Um, And then um, uh, maybe keep it like how people who are trying to eat healthier, they keep a food diary as cheesy as it sounds. Maybe keep a diary of your drinking. And I know if you're having 15 drinks you might not remember how many drinks you had mm. but you know just try maybe try to keep a diary of it don't keep alcohol in your home this is a big one for me if someone gives me a bottle of wine and i take it home i'm gonna drink it and then but then i'm not i'm I'm not like happy that i did so mm-hmm. so don't keep alcohol in the home that's it sounds like a given but um and then for a tip for drinking less when you're out if you are the one that tends to order multiple drinks um, this sounds so silly, but what I was reading is just drink slowly. Like so Mm -hmm. many people, they like, um, it tastes good. So they just Mm -hmm. chug it. It tastes so good, you know, but, um, the big thing that they were saying is, is sip your drink and never drink on an empty stomach. Um, choose alcohol-free days. Um, I know for me, my addiction, I don't know if, I guess addiction might be the right word, but the thing I struggle with, is always getting on social media to like Mm -hmm. um, distract myself or to um, tune out maybe. Mm -hmm. So I've set myself um, screen-free days, um, and it's more days of the week than I'm on screen. Mm -hmm. Um, So maybe try that, um, having alcohol-free days. Um, And then, of course, watch for peer pressure because I know, personally for me, I've had so many friends that went sober, and they've announced it on Facebook, and you (laughs) see so many of their drinking buddies because – that's their, that's how they stay functioning is right. because they need you to like drink with them. That's how mm-hmm. they don't feel like alcoholics is because you're doing it too, right? Everyone's doing it. Everybody right. has three DWIs. And so, <laughs> oh, um, I, I live in Austin. Um, <laughs> so anyhow, like don't give into that peer pressure because people, not everyone is going to be happy that you're cutting back. Cause it means that they don't have you as their drinking buddy. So watch for your peer pressure. Um, keep busy, like maybe, um, start jogging or, or start pick up hiking, like do something that, you know, is, is a good type of, um, filling the time, um, ask for support, um, like have an accountability partner, like someone that you know, wants to see you do better. Obviously not one of your drinking buddies, most likely. Um, and, uh, learn from the past. So if you, if you really think about, your drinking habits and what came, what good came from drinking. If there was good, it probably could have come from sober living as well. Um, but so learn from the past. Think of reasons why you would want to give this up. Think of reasons that would motivate you when you are being tempted. And then also I, I know from personal experience with um, people that I've been with in a, in a relationship with, <clears throat> when you stop drinking, your digestion changes uh, this mm. is all like for the worse in the beginning okay because you're dependent it's like you stop drinking coffee and you get yeah. headaches so you drink coffee so when you stop drinking you feel like you can't sleep you mm. get you get night sweats yeah you get headaches you feel like you can't go to the bathroom like you used to um you get fucked up dreams because all your dreams are very having much dream rebound you get yeah. super moody it's it's uh what's it called um uh, withdrawals. Yeah. Um, you know, you're going through withdrawals, you start getting snappy with your loved ones. You feel edgy, you feel anxiety. Of course, because you're now you're starting to feel all these emotions that you normally numb. And so I don't think can, we're selling it here.
1: We're not selling the not drinking here.
0: Yeah, it we're, sucks, right? These are all but the bad things. So the thing is is like expect that to happen and right. know I've got to get through this point. Right. Because the thing is, is people who start like they start on the mission to stop drinking, mm-hmm. that's what stops them, is they start to feel like crud. Right. And so they drink again. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. Then they don't realize that it's the alcohol that's making them feel crummy because they don't give themselves enough time to feel good. Right. You know. So give yourself enough time um, and expect that you're going to feel crummy for for a little bit. It's just yeah. like any good habit that you're doing. Um, whether it's um, cutting out caffeine or whether it's detoxing, you yeah. always go through the withdrawal symptoms, but you feel so much better after. Look at Brad Pitt. He, like, he looked like crap last year. You see how handsome he looks? Because he stopped Brad, drinking.
1: we would never say that about you.
0: <laughs> he looked like crap last year. I remember thinking, like, what the hell happened to him? Oh, man. He, I, what, last week at the Grammys, I was like, whew, he lost like <laughs> 10 years because he stopped drinking. He looks so Amazing. good. So, I mean, like, if, if anything, uh, like giving up alcohol for 30 days, it makes a, such a difference on your appearance. So, anyhow, I don't know if that was a magic trick. <laughs> but there's some tips. If you, if you're trying to cut back on alcohol or if you're trying to, if maybe you don't even really need to cut back, but you just want to cut it out because you know that, you know, it's not benefiting you. So yeah. Maybe my most annoying uh, magic trick of all time, but that was a magic rant, not
1: a trick, but we really want it to go. I think it's good though. I think it's, um, something you said about being social and having drinking buddies and stuff. I think that that's part of the addiction in itself is that this is a way we've decided that we're going to let down our inhibitions and bond. And we can't figure out how to do that without the alcohol, or we
0: just haven't taken the time and energy to figure out really without the alcohol. We're not allowing ourselves to be our authentic selves. We think the alcohol is making us authentic. It's not. No, sit in on a drunken conversation. It's going yeah. nowhere. It's going There's no depth. <laughs> no circles about
1: nothing. Yes. Um, yes. If you're listening to this podcast, that I'm sorry crazy. that I sound judgy. <laughs> I'm
0: sorry. <laughs> Move on. Move What's your on. your magic trick.
1: <laughs> All right, y'all. We love you. We don't want you to poison yourself or to do it into a place that's harmful. So take any bit of what Jade said there to heart. And also I just wanted to put a caveat before I get into my magic (laughs) trick. Brad, if you're listening, Brad Pitt, uh, we don't know if you went to Kim Kardashian's plastic surgeon and that's why you look 10 years younger or if you stopped drinking, but either way, do you brother? It's working. Just keep it (laughs) realish with us and let us know what the real deal was there. We need to know these secrets.
0: He got a hydrofacial.
1: Yeah. What's your magic (laughs) trick, Brad? Okay. So (laughs) my magic today is coming from... Sky, who we had mm. on the show. Oh, we loved her so much. We love her so much. She is incredible. Her whole hashtag is worthy women rise. She's just uh, so great. Um, she posted something that said... Reparenting ourselves means releasing the expectation that as adults, our parents will validate our feelings. And I felt like this was related a bit to this episode, just in the fact Mm -hmm. that if you have, you know, an alcoholic or substance abuse, abusing parent or any addicts in your, your early years, especially growing up, maybe, you know, even if you, even if you're dealing with that now, this is something that really can speak to all of that. But really can speak to anyone, even if you're, you don't have you know a parent that went through substance abuse or anything like that. Um, so she goes on to say, on the journey of healing, many of us may begin to realize that our parents harmed us during childhood in ways they may not have taken credit for. As we process our experience of that pain now, it's understandable why we may seek validation from our parents in the form of apologies and or ownership. After so many years of taking responsibility for things that we now realize was not ours to take responsibility of, it makes sense we want our parents to make amends in some meaningful way, to bear a share of the pain. The desire is valid, however. We must be wary of waiting for other people to change or take ownership or apologize in order to heal and move forward. This is where we are invited to offer ourselves the grace we may or may not get from the others by being tender to our hurt parts, to our hurt parts. We do not need our parents to acknowledge our pain in order for our pain to be real. I'm going to say that again. We do not need our parents to acknowledge our pain in order for our pain to be real. We do not need their apology in order to move forward. We do not need them to change in order for us to heal. We do not need them to change in order for us to heal.
0: Hmm. Um, that's I mean, that's
1: really good. so major, man.
0: I don't know why that didn't occur to me before. Because it's your
1: whole story is telling your whole story from built from your domestications, from your childhood traumas for all the years after that, that you've continued to practice that story and run that background script has told you that that thought that our parents don't have to change in order for us to heal or that our parents don't have to cop to the, you know, hurt they caused us in order for us to heal. It's not part of the story you've been running. So why would you have that thought? Mm-hmm. Someone has to place it in you. So thank you, Tai Sky, for doing that for us today.
0: Um. <laughs> yeah, we, I actually, um, I was thinking of her episode earlier just because um, it is this episode and her episode. I was, I was really proud of her episode just because I felt yeah. like we really covered some important topics, but um, I'm really proud of this one too. I really, um, I feel like it was, it was just so um, heart centered. So.
1: Yes. And rigorously authentic. Yes. Um, yeah. So that was, anyway, you guys, that was just a reminder. You can love your parents and acknowledge how their behaviors have impacted your health.
2: Hmm.
1: It's okay if you don't love your parents because of the hurt they cause too. So wherever you're at on your journey, we respect it. We love you. We want you to move forward and be progressive, amazing human beings that are stepping into their highest selves. Yeah. Hmm. All right, Magic Mob. Uh, I want to give you guys a little reminder that, uh, that we are doing a little <laughs> giveaway for our magic mob. Basically, all you have to do is leave us a rating and review on your podcast app. You can do it right now while you're listening to me speak. And once you've written your review, just snapshot it, post it on your Instagram and tag our Instagram at the magic hour, spelled M-A-J-I-C, so that we can see it. And we'll be picking a couple of winners each month to get a $100 Amazon gift card.
0: Yes. Thank you guys also so much for tuning in and taking this journey with us. If this episode held some magic for you, please share it with your friends and family. This would mean so much to us. And don't forget to join us on our Instagram page at The Magic Hour and let us know what your favorite episodes have been so far. We appreciate all your feedback and want to know what's lighting you up.
1: Yes, and we release a new episode every Monday, so you can catch us again next week or go listen to some of our
0: past episodes in the podcast library. Until then, be alive. alive. Thank you to at Royal for our intro jam and to Michael for being on the show and to John Aaron Garza from Real In Motion Productions for producing the show. Stay magical, friends.
1: Quick disclaimer. We are not medical professionals, so following any of our protocols or advice should be done at your own risk, people. And please remember to always, always do your own research. Tap into that extraordinary growth mindset we all have access to within ourselves and seek out your own answers. Come on, guys. You know. You know the deal. And, by the way, if you are a medical professional or an expert in any topic we cover and you feel we are not giving accurate information about it, please find somewhere to contact us contact us via social or email us at our website and let us know a major goal of ours in doing this podcast is to bring value to people's lives by sharing helpful insights and info so we welcome being corrected at any time and we'll be happy to share any of our fuck ups with our listeners so as to get us all back on track to discovering our happiest healthiest selves